Welcome to the Redemptification Podcast, where we focus on inspiring people and communities and starting conversations around the topic of redemptification. Redemptification we define as the creative work of redeeming a person or place to its intended beauty and glory. I'm your host, John Marsh, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ty Maloney. Well, welcome to the Redemptification Podcast. It's going to be a great day today to talk to Scott Rogers. He's going to be sharing with us some things about the ABCCM ministry, the community Christian ministry that is a nonprofit addressing poverty, hunger, homelessness, access to health care, and the underserved in Buncombe County, North Carolina. And uh, annually, they serve about 21,000 folks. And so it's a, a real blessing. A friend of ours, um, Paul Lerwick, said, I had to talk to you. And so I'm grateful that we can talk a little bit about what, because we say redemptification involves restoring people and places to their intended beauty and glory. And I love the fact that you're serving a community that y'all are devoting your hearts and lives to. So welcome to the show. Thank you, John, so much. It's an honor to be here and such a joy to share our story. Thank you. Well, you do so many things there after doing some research, getting ready, you know, crisis ministry, there's homelessness service, veteran services, medical ministry, and jail ministry. And I love you guys are a lot of heart, but you're a lot of numbers too. I got to look and then thinking about 21,000 individual homes yes. served. Um, crisis ministry, about 14,590 individuals serve with yes. clothing, food, hot meals, food bags, emergency utilities, rent and mortgage assistance, and more. 6,360 inmates offered books and yes. Bibles in their library and a medical ministry that served 3,245 people. So, wow, wow. wow. I love the <laughs> fact that you guys are doing it at scale. So, I can't wait for you to help teach some of our listeners not just what you're doing, but how you do it um, and, and what's yeah. behind it. So how did this come about? Oh, it's a wonderful story. It came about very similar to the circumstances we have now. Uh, it was in 68 and 69 when racial tensions were at their highest. Churches were trying to figure out how do I meet the needs of our neighbors? Uh, one church would serve a family and go to the minister's meeting and find out that nine other colleagues served the same family. And then they all turned nine other families away. So they began saying, how do we pool our resources and come together as the body of Christ to really make a powerful difference? They realized that trying to just kind of assuage somebody's guilt or fix the problem wasn't the answer. And they had some brilliant leaders, uh, men and women, uh, African-American, white, uh, Asian, Russian, all who came together and said, let's be Christ in an intentional missional community. Uh, so we now have grown since 1969, 52 years, into about 300 churches, over 6,000 volunteers, who decided to embrace one passage of scripture that's familiar to all of us, 
in Matthew 25, verses 35 through 40, when Jesus said, uh, or the disciples said in response to Jesus' question, when did we see you uh, and offer a cup of cool water, feed you, clothe you? That became our crisis ministries. When did we visit you in jail or prison? That became our jail prison ministry. When did we uh, care for the sick? And that became our medical ministry for uh, both medical, dental. We now have two pharmacies. And then when did we welcome in the stranger? So we've gone from a small basement located church at St. Lawrence Catholic Church uh, in downtown uh, Asheville to now two campuses, a 10 acre campus with 250 men where 280% are veterans. We have ended homelessness or what I like to say is functional zero for homeless veterans, not only in our county, but in Western North Carolina. And then a 24 acre brand new campus out uh, for women and children. We just finished phase one, uh, the State Employee Credit Union Center of Hope, which is housing 100 women. And we've got uh, more acres to build 150 apartment units. Then beyond those five ministries, we have added a veteran services of the Carolinas. So we are now in 74 counties with a veterans call center. That call center has generated, of course, a lot of veterans in crisis. The number one needs, no surprise. How do I keep from being evicted from my home? And how do I get a job or get a better job? So uh, we are uh, into homeless prevention through supportive services for veteran families. We're the largest private veterans employment and training center in 49 counties. There's 100 in North Carolina, so almost half, and uh, yet the largest in the country providing veterans employment and training. So wow. we, those are all the things, John, that man, this it just feel like you're blowing my socks <laughs> That is incredible, um, yeah. and, and I know it's grown over time. I mean, you don't get to this scale doing this kind of, kind of work. As a leader of an organization that has quite some scale, how do you do amazing, sophisticated systems with love? I mean, how do you do this, like leading a large company, but doing it with this great compassion of the people yeah. you're leading? Well, thank you for asking, because the secret to this ministry is doing it the way that Jesus did with his apostles. We just need 12 or 20 people every four hours, 24 hours a day, seven days <laughs> a week, practically. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's all done by one simple ingenious philosophy we are here to create an opportunity for every member in their church to be the missionary, if you will, or the volunteer servant leader in their community. And so we, we in a nutshell, we create opportunities for Christians 
to listen to their neighbor and to meet those needs through intentional relationship ministry. Wow. I mean, I think the number I read was like 132,000 hours out of over 6,000 volunteers. <laughs> I mean, it seems like it would be herding cats. How in the world do you get all these things aligned? I mean, yeah. are y'all like, do you have like a platform for purpose that you help people interface with? Oh, of course. Uh, so over time, like you say, we've grown that. But first of all, every staff member is a volunteer coordinator. I just tell them, if you're not recruiting and helping to create ways for folks to serve, you're giving good orientation, we're prepared, and we offer training. So no volunteer is just thrown into the kitchen and says, good luck, just fix whatever's on the shelves. It's all planned and prepared ahead of time. And so now every, while we have 54 uh, full-time staff doing uh, this volunteer ministry, you can see our average is one staff person for every hundred or so volunteers. That's been the key to uh, ministry, particularly in our Western culture. And it's just brilliant, though, the way that the churches just embrace this. We go out and preach in all of these different churches, uh, of course, throughout the year. And we ask them, uh, our bylaws are actually set up uniquely as well. The churches are the members. It isn't the volunteers. It's not the board. So the church is the member church. The pastor is automatically a member. Every time we get a new pastor, I say, guess what? You're on a representative to the General Assembly of Churches. <laughs> and, uh, and then we ask them to appoint two or three representatives who meet four times a year. And then the churches elect the board of directors, set the budget, and set our direction. So it keeps us what I call church-owned, church-led, and operated. So you brought this incredible unity to something that seems really difficult. I mean, a lot of the indictments we get as the church is y'all guys can't get on the same page. I mean, you think <laughs> with Jesus as the head of this thing, we could all yeah. say, hey, we got this major 99% important thing in common here. Yeah. How do you get, bring this unity with so many different people from so many different backgrounds? Well, it's been really, really special. You know, one of the things that churches or denominations do is they argue over the communion cup, but nobody argues over a cup of cool water. <laughs> we, we can argue over the bread, but we don't argue over giving a loaf of bread or a bag of food to folks. And so we have simply done this in a way that really keeps both the theological, the denominational doctrinal politics out of it, the world's politics out of it. And we just say, Jesus was there at the city gates, meeting people where they were. He didn't ask them who you are, what's wrong with you, what's your political position with the Pharisees or the Sadducees. He just said, uh, what's your need and would touch that and then earn the right to share the good news of Jesus that he had, that if you asked me, I would give you living waters. 
if you ask me, I will give you the bread of life. And so it gives the volunteers, uh, everybody, the chance to say, uh, can I pray with you about that? Have you prayed? Are you connected to a congregation? And it's not unusual for us to hear that folks have been in a church, left because of their struggles or bad choices, and are ready to get back. And so, for example, at both of our homeless facilities, out of 200 men, there's there's usually a bit of a traffic jam on Sunday mornings with church buses and vans coming in to pick people up and they go out to the churches. Over half of the men uh, are in somebody's church on Sunday morning, as well as the women. So it's not unusual. It's awesome. Connection back. It, I love a lot of the things that, that have that obviously there's been some Holy Spirit wisdom in this thing coming together and it's really beautiful and unique um is it duplicatable i mean should other states be able to do this have y'all created like almost a mcdonald's type of model for impacting community well we we have shared our community building with literally thousands of course uh i've had the honor particularly through the 90s because I know I don't look like I'm much over 40, but I've been doing this 40 years. <laughs> I know, keep laughing, audience. Anyway, uh, you know, but so we've we have definitely duplicated this model all around cities, large and small, all across the 10 southeastern states. Mm-hmm. We've had uh, all 50 states come visit our veterans restoration quarters. You know, we got wise after the 90s. I said, why don't, instead of you pay me to come consult for you, why don't you just come spend a day, two days, three days with us? You treat yourself. You get to see it, feel it, experience it, uh, be really immersed in it. We will give you all the manuals, intake sheets, tracking documents, databases. We'll... We provide all of that, but you go back and figure out how Jesus and the Holy Spirit's leading your community to put Mm. this intentional missional community together uh, because it is exactly uh, what Jesus wanted to have happen. Yeah, I've realized that, you know, people call us from all over the country. Well, how did you, how did y'all do 260 plus structures in 10 blocks and create 40 businesses. I said, well, first, without God, it's impossible. I mean, we, we're not that good. And yeah. so if it's just us, we're sunk. But we say it's like 80% models and 20% miracles. And uh, <laughs> that second part, you just got to get on your knees for them and believe. Yeah. But when they want to know, I say, come and see. I said, that's what Jesus kept saying. He just said, come and see. Yes. And so he if they can, come and see come this and ministry see. and this blog, it, 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 it has the heart that they're looking for. They're going to know it. That's right. That's right. And if they'll learn to listen, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the key is having listening leaders mm-hmm. and really having servant leaders. You know, I just love how in Ephesians 5 around 1920, you know, Paul says we've got to be subject to one another. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a wonderful teacher uh, who said, you know, Paul used the Greek word there, which wasn't a tent maker's term, but a carpenter's term 
for putting legs on a table. And I said, <laughs> what? I said, how do you put legs on a table? And he says, well, that's the neat thing. First, you turn the table upside down, then you screw the legs down. And, but then it always takes more than one to flip it back upright. And isn't that the beauty of what both Christ does in our lives, but also how he calls us to unity, just like he did in uh, oh, Romans 15, 5 and 6. Paul says, I pray that the unity of Christ will draw us all together so that we all together with one mind might serve him. Mm. So serving him uh, with that one mind of grace and mercy uh, is what does unify us. And because these problems, you know, hunger is bigger than any one church. Homelessness is bigger than any one church. Uninsured needing medical care is bigger than any one church. I think God in Jesus' own word said, you know, the beauty is, is if you want to know how to get close to me, is go to the least of these. Mm. It's incredible. I love the way that, that this is kind of, I mean, the things y'all are doing, of course, is incredible, but it's it has such a such a simplified to multiply kind of idea. The fact that it's simple, I mean, it's food, it's medical care, it's loving on others. And you got it by God's grace, so simple that people can't hardly disagree. I mean, we all agree children should be taken care of, right? Yeah. We all agree that people should have access to basic medical care. We all agree that people yeah. in jail need help to, and that we yes. ought to hope in that place they change. Exactly. And that we, we all agree to these things. I mean, nobody would say, oh, that's that's things. So you boiled it down and said, hey, let's find what we can agree on and do something about it. That's right. You know, our culture has us kind of segregated in all of these little silos. So you got the country club group and you got your own church group and you got your neighborhood that's just a lot of other people like you. And there aren't very many sanctuaries or safe places uh, for people to meet and then to really share cross-culture, cross-community, just neighbor to neighbor about what those needs are and how to meet those in a safe, responsible, caring, gracious, hospitable way. And so by creating those safe places, uh, those uh, sanctuaries, if you will, to bring the sanctuary out of the church and put the sanctuary downtown, because we're, we decided a long time ago not to be this big monolithic, you know, church services facility. We're in all of these little buildings at the crossroads in our county and across Western North Carolina, where it's easy and people get there going to work, going to the grocery store anyway. And so it makes it really local church ministry then. And what we find is if you can get a dozen or more churches together, you usually have enough people that God's put it on their heart to serve their neighbors to start doing this responsibly together. And oh my, the blessings are just amazing. 
Oh, I can't imagine. I mean, people, I love the term I heard one time is they don't work just for credit. You really work for testimonies to hear the stories of people's right. lives being changed. And, and when you look at sometimes numbers, oh, 130 people living here, they think well, 130 isn't a lot. I think, uh, have you ever been one of the 130? Right. It's 100% success when <laughs> when something happens to you. Like I was a drug right. addict and got healed. And I said, let me tell yeah. you something. Not many make it, but the yeah. ones that do, it's yeah. it's powerful. And so it is a real story of, of this. What So what's the minimum? You mentioned it just then, and I love how you're just getting in the community and getting the building that's right there where people are going, not building yes. big, you know, big campuses in such a way, but getting where people are. But What's the minimum Bible kind of model that it takes? You mentioned 12 churches in yep, kind of yep. a community. We, we talk about 12 churches. You need about uh, 30 to 40 volunteers. You need somebody who's got that gift of administration, detail scheduling, you know, because it is work. I mean, if you start <laughs> feeding you know, 50 families a day with 50 boxes of food, believe me, it's work. Yeah. <laughs> but many hands make it light and easy because Jesus said, my burden is light. If we will all pull together, uh, we teach how important it is to keep that ownership amongst uh, the churches so that it doesn't just become one person's ministry. And we also limit, we limit volunteers. You know, every now and then we get a volunteer says, I'll do this every day, eight hours, 10 hours a day. And we tell them, I'm sorry, you can only do this two, four hour times a week. And they go, well, wait, wait a minute, why is that? And I say, well, you're gonna take away the opportunity for a dozen other people if you're there all the time. <laughs> wow, so what an interesting way about, to frame that. That's right. <laughs> well, I think your conversion goes up when that scarcity comes in. I think they can't wait for their four hours to come up again. Huh? That's what happens. And, <laughs> yeah, people say they don't, you know, they hate volunteers. They can't, they don't show up, blah, blah, blah. Well, not in this kind of ministry, because they know if they don't show up, how, how you know, it won't function. Right. Our clinic, if the doctors don't show up, we got to hang a sign out that says, come back tomorrow. And of course, the first thing I do is take a picture of that sign and send it to them and say, now you're not going to let this happen again, are you? <laughs> <laughs> so give us a couple, like, tell us 40 years doing this. Holy guacamole. Tell me about like two or three things leadership insights that you've learned about leading people through the work you've done there? Well, uh, the first is, is that, you know, it's like one of my early businessmen told me, if, if more than two churches are in it, God's got to be in it, and I want to be there. Hmm. So you really have to, first of all, listen to where God is calling uh, people together, you know, you may want to start with food and they want to start with clothes or somebody wants to start with medical. It doesn't matter where you start. You just get together with where God's people are. Second is you do have to have competency. So you have to have folks that do uh, have good competent skills who understand 
that there is a culture of homelessness, there's a culture of poverty or uninsured. Uh, so you can't just assume, well, they're needy and I've got stuff, so that's the answer. That's not that simple because to be in relational ministry, we're not here to just fix things. I had another volunteer tell me once, if all it was, if all God wanted was the food and clothes, you can run this ministry with one person and 12 big barrels. You know, <laughs> just have people drive by and shovel the food and the clothes into their cars. That's not ministry. <laughs> Jesus wanted us to really seriously engage with one another. Uh, but he also wanted us to get to know each other. I'll never forget my first six months, we had a volunteer drive, got 100 people, and we were scheduling, and I put down on the schedule this woman, and come to find out she was about a 30-year-old black female, and she was scheduled with about an 80-year-old white Baptist deacon, and uh, he was about as curmudgeon as they could be, and you know. The volunteers came to me and said, no, wait a minute, this isn't going to work. And I said, well, it's been working since 69. What's the problem? <laughs> no, you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that guy came to me about two weeks later and he pulled me aside and he said, I want to talk to you. And I said, OK, he says, no, in your office. <laughs> I went, oh, my. And then when he closed the door, I thought, oh, wow, here we go. They were right. He sat me down. He says, now, don't you tell anybody this, but I got something very important to tell you. And I said, okay, what's that? He said, do you know that woman I work with? I said, yes, sir, I do. Do you know she believes almost exactly what I believe? I said, okay. He said, well, that's it. Now, don't you tell anybody. <laughs> oh, I've been man. telling everybody for 38 yeah. years. <laughs> That's what they, on our team, they called me the bush baked beans dog. They said, if you give him the secrets now, he's going to go tell somebody. Yeah, that's right. But, but if this good stuff about how good God is putting people together and using relationships, that kingdom, I mean, if we're going to spend forever together, let's get the hang of this thing. That's right. And because of that, in my years here with the ministry, for example, we have started the Mana Food Bank. Of course, I tell them who named it Manna. Well, I did. <laughs> but the volunteers came together in our food pantry and said, let's do a regional food bank. I said, okay. And we sponsored it for five years and spun it off. We did the same thing two years later with Habitat for Humanity. And now it's one of the biggest habitats for humanity. I mean, we've done this almost every year that I've been in ministry over 40 agencies that have also been spun off as a part of the churches or a part of, you know, community networking and work that, that makes us all healthier, stronger, and better as a community. But it all had its beginnings in the church from church people who were brought together by God to do great things, incredible things. Mm, that's awesome. So um, now, what a couple of items on your not to do list after 40 years of doing this? <laughs> Give me some not to do's. 
Oh, gosh, that's a great question, John. Uh, so uh, one of the things not to do uh, that works for us is don't publish what everybody gives. Mm. Keep track of it. Make sure you thank them every time. We have a rule that we thank you within seven days, if not the first 24 hours after you give a gift. But don't get lists and publish them. There's an arrogance uh, about that that seems counterproductive to the way God and the Holy Spirit works. Mm. I think another thing to do is is uh, don't don't that you're here to solve the government's problems. As soon as God's people start doing it, we will outperform any government human service agency out there. <laughs> <laughs> we have more manpower more compassion and more grace and mercy helping people and the very recipients who get help from the government will tell you i want to come here because you really care <laughs> <laughs> so you can do like we've done which is we've said to the government if you want to contract with us and just give us the money to do better uh, what we do, what you need done, and then we'll do these other things on top of it, that's fine. But don't take money from the government that lets them tell you how to do it and change mm. your culture in Jesus. Don't do it. Uh, because if you do, you'll really make a big mistake. Pretty soon that you'll be having something other than the Holy Spirit directing the activities, won't you? Well, that's exactly right. So that's a good not to do. I love don't publish the list. That's kind of interesting. And I, I love it. I mean, I think it gives you a make sure to thank them and set that expectation. How do you deal with, you know, we say expectations are unvoiced demands. So how do y'all set the right expectations of your of your the people you serve and the people that are helping serve? Oh, John, that's another excellent question. I tell you, uh, we need to make sure we transcribe this because you're getting all the goody out of me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. I tell them I'm going to pick you like a fish. That's right. <laughs> so uh, here's the thing. We, we also decided a long time ago. Uh, first of all, we think that ministry is about the needs in the community. And while there's a certain amount of truth for that, the real issue is how many people of God's people can we bring to the need? Mm -hmm. So we really set the limits at the amount of God's people who are available along with the resources that we have to meet that need. So if we can only meet the needs of 50 families for food, in a day and really do ministry with them, then, you know, person number and family, 51, we either have to send someplace else or ask them to come back tomorrow. We can't let the need just overwhelm what uh, the capacity of his people are. Now that might sound rouge or hard, but if you just keep track of the unmet need and start letting people know about that, which is what God wants us to do, then he will supply that need and that extra manpower and the extra resources to meet that need. 
that's what happened to us just last year with the COVID explosion. Our clinic had put out that we needed to triple our size and capacity. And when we put that out there and God supplied, here came the shutdown of the economy. And sure enough, the need tripled, but God had us ready and prepared. Hmm. We talked about the unmet need. We talked about the capacity and competency it would take to do that. And God provided uh, the core resources to do it. So we also have to realize how humble we have to be uh, like I said, not saying we're going to solve the government's problem or the community problem. We can only solve what God has provided us with to solve. But if we do that, do it well and do it with relationship in him, he will provide. That is awesome. I love you really let the team drive the dream. If you, yes. if you God, I love what Truett, Kathy, I spoke for Mr. Truett, the founder of Chick-fil-A many years ago and spent the afternoon with him. And he said, we only grew when the people made us. Yes. He said, when the need, the needs were always there, but as our team grew, we That's could right. meet those needs. And so I love it. It's really a great, a great way to look at it because if you get to looking at the needs, you get so disheartened. It's just yes. beyond comprehension almost. Yes. So that's so amazing. Every volunteer lets us serve 10 more families. It's that simple. And when you can do that, that, that just becomes God's math and uh, God's arithmetic instead of our arithmetic. His multiplication factor, one gives you 10. Huh? That's, that's right. a good return on investment, isn't it? I tell you, it's the best ever. And he, he told us for years it was 10, 30, and 100 fold. He'd take care of it, and he does. <laughs> <laughs> he sure does. What about, um, so how, again, you've got this, there's a lot of people there. Obviously, every once in a while, probably a very small amount, you have a little conflict. Oh, yeah. So well, how do you, you deal with conflict? <laughs> well, you can't do God's work without getting the devil's attention. <laughs> <laughs> or the attention that the devil gets of others through jealousy, uh, through, you know, kind of a turfism or, mm -hmm. you know, all kinds of ways in which the, you know, the world doesn't like to see God's people being so impactful and so yes you're going to have conflict you're going to have you know a lot of issues so we always say to folks look uh i would have been so happy if jesus had left off the last two beatitudes you know blessed are those who persecute you for righteousness <laughs> and uh you know Blessed are those who curse and revile you. So you're going to have some of that. Uh, sometimes it's with the people. I used to say uh, in the early days, if Miss Joanne doesn't cuss me out on Monday morning, my week's just not off to a good start. <laughs> uh, you know, you're going to have folks who are jealous. You've got to take the high road. One, stay focused on your mission. Two, uh, Jesus said, turn the other cheek and pray for those uh, who curse you or against you. Three, you got to be careful and exercise faithfulness and self-control with our own tongue. Uh, 
that means two things. Don't go around telling everybody we're the best and the biggest. That just gets you in trouble. Uh, and second, uh, just tell folks you're about meeting that need. And, and if they talk bad about you, talk nice about them. Uh, <laughs> say we're thankful you're out there doing your good hard work. Because everybody's trying to do the right thing. But Jesus said, he's calling us to do it from his spirit and from his vantage point that it's God providing and not just us by our strength. Mm. A lot of wisdom in that. What about vision? So as y'all think about vision and as you work to he to kind of hear the Holy Spirit and implement things, how do you know what's the things you should do? And how do you know the things not to? I said, sometimes I feel like a mosquito in a nudist colony. There's so many opportunities and you got to figure out what direction you need to go. How yeah. does a ministry of this size, how do you know you're going to going about the right thing? How do you do it and then verify it's the right thing? Why, sure. Well, again, I think we've kind of laid the foundation for that by, you know, you, you serve the need that God's put on the people's hearts. Uh, and second, you do that responsibly within the scope and the resources and the time that God's people are going to give you. And, and then you let him decide to grow it. It's enough to serve that much. It's important to have good systems of accountability. Uh, but when it comes to vision, we do have to listen to what the churches are saying, to what God's people are saying. Uh, so we've had the churches dream big dreams. We think it's important to have a very intentional visioning and strategic planning process, which we try to do every five to seven years. And uh, our last visioning process was in 2010 and 2011, we said we wanted to do this transformation village, a campus that would take every homeless woman and child off of the streets and give them a place to be so that we could reach functional zero. Uh, we have a problem with saying you can end homelessness when we don't make homelessness. The economy <laughs> makes homelessness. Domestic violence makes homelessness. Sexual trauma makes homelessness. I can go on and on with this traumatic list that makes homelessness. Uh, so the question is, while people are becoming homeless, can we get that to functional zero where we have enough beds for people coming in to help people then going out? Uh, and so that's what we did. Well, uh, we didn't cut the ribbon and enter the new facility until 2021. And by all accounts, that's 10 years later. So <laughs> sometimes the vision unfolds slowly. Other times the vision can unfold very quickly. You know, uh, we had a situation where the churches in the west part of the county wanted a Hominy Valley crisis ministry. And... Uh, the churches came together quickly. We All the land the churches wanted to give us, the county said no. And then a volunteer steps up and says, my husband has two acres that I just hate. I hate them. They're right on the highway. They're right where everybody goes by and I don't want to put a house or anything there. You can have it. 
And when she did that, another volunteer stepped up and said, well, God's been laying on my heart to do this. Here's the first million dollars to get it started. I mean, so sometimes things go very quickly. That was all done in two years and paid hmm. for. So uh, it can go fast. It can take 10 years, but it's up to us to be faithful to the vision that God's people have, not the vision I have or you have, but the vision that God's people have. And as we articulate that, then to watch him provide, and he does. I love that. So uh, what I hear you say is you listen to the people, the, the, the ones that are doing the, 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 these, these the local churches. When something is there, God guides, he provides as he decides it should grow and he blesses it and provides for it, y'all. Steward what he's doing, but you, I mean, you can plant seeds and water them. You can't make stuff grow. No, that's so, exactly right. And you know, uh, God raises up all kinds of folks. You've seen this in your ministry, how he just always seems to bring the right people with the right talents at the right time, hmm. uh, with the right leadership, or he opens a door, you know, uh, I've gone and beat on the doors of banks and other people. And just about the time I give up, of course, God opens the door to say, well, I've been waiting on you to quit so I can show you. <laughs> and, and then boom, he, he just makes it happen. So, uh, you know, I've, I've had people I've asked uh, to come help us for two, three, four or five years. And the answer is always not yet. Now, I want you to understand they use the, the word no, but to me, no means not yet. <laughs> you, you reframe their no strike, not yet, right? It just means not yet. <laughs> well, I used to tell guys when I knew I had to buy something to save our community and they wouldn't, so I said, sir, you're going to have to sell me this bill and get a restraining order because I, what I lack in intelligence, I make up for in persistence. Amen. I'm going to keep coming by here. <laughs> Even an unrighteous judge will rule for you if you aggravate them. The Bible That's proves exactly that. exactly right. <laughs> so, all right. So we got one, one, one quick thing, and then I want to do three questions as we land it. Tell me one quick little story or quick thing that you remember about. You've had thousands of people come through there, and I know your heart must get broken and blessed over and over and over. But tell me a quick one that something that just touched you and you said, this gave me hope and tremendous, you know, seeing oh, God move. Yeah, you're right. There's so many. Uh, I'll just tell you Kathy's story. Kathy and John McFalls, they, uh, they volunteered two times a week because that's all I'd let them. <laughs> she worked at we had to borrow the hole punch from her because she bought it and it was hers. But <laughs> she ran the filing room and <laughs> she was a brilliant lady, a librarian, retired. John, he'd been an engineer and, and worked in the food pantry. He'd fixed the building. Uh, but both of them told me early on that they were going to uh, leave everything to ABCCM. I said, well, that's great. Well, 10 years went by, 15 years, John got sick. Uh, he had a long battle with cancer, died. 
Kathy uh, continued on, said, that's all right. I've still got everything for you. And five years later, she was in a nursing home and she had one of our other volunteers come by. And she said, Reverend Scott, she said, uh, I told you I was gonna leave you everything. Well, unfortunately, everything is gone. But you have a, an auction coming up. And she said, the one thing they couldn't take away from me. And she reached over to her wedding band and her diamond ring. And she said, they couldn't take this. And she said, take this and auction it and give it to the families in need. Well, she was crying, I was crying. It was truly the widow's might. Mm. Uh, when we told that story, the ring was sold for five times what its value was because uh, it touched everybody knowing that somebody uh, was willing to give all for their neighbors in need. <clears throat> Jesus said, uh, you know, very rarely a good man will give his life for a friend. But Jesus gave his life for us. And I've seen so many times over and over, people give their lives for their neighbors, for people they didn't know, and be just the right thing that they needed at just the right time uh, to make that difference. And don't you know, we all know that when we do that, uh, and God gets the glory, uh, that that's that's when we know God's people are doing it uh, the right way. It's good worship. It's good church. And, and it's great ministry. Yeah, I say that generosity is the only thing that breaks greed over my life. Yes. Learning how to give. And how do you not when you've been so richly given, when God's yes. been so good to us? So three questions. Sure. Um, what... Do you know about someone doing good work in the world that we need to know about? Who oh, do you know? Oh, gosh. Well, I know all kinds of people. I mean, <laughs> Samaritan's so, Purse comes by every six weeks and picks up all of our leftover medical equipment and supplies from our clinic and ships them all over the world. We, we put together a... Uh, what do you call it? A big tractor trailer load of medical equipment and supplies every six weeks. So, you know, Samaritan's Purse is doing a great job. Uh, of course, I would just point to any number of our volunteers. Uh, you know, we've got a group of volunteers that they do Veterans Day and the 4th of July, and they come out, they raise enough money with this little group of the Knights of Columbus, and they provide a full-blown steak dinner, including ice cream and banana splits afterwards for every homeless person, 300 of them. <laughs> uh, so just incredible folks out there. Wow. You know, I, I always say my prayer is front row seats to miracles. I think you got some 50-yard line seats, my friend. We do. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you read that we should read? What book has impacted you either in the past or recently that you say, man, you need to read this? Yeah. Well, I, I can think of a number. You know, it's hard. You asked me that question once before. I, You know, 
there's a good book out there called Toxic Charity uh, that really emphasizes the point of relationship. Now, he would tell me to get out of my food pantry business altogether, so he and I kind of part company there. But, <laughs> uh, but I think you can be in the food pantry business and in the relationship business all at the same time. But that is the point of, of his book, and, uh, and I think that's, that's really powerful. Another one uh, that I encourage churches that are really wanting to create discipleship ministry in the community uh, is Ruby Payne's book. Uh, well, I'm blanking on the title all of a sudden. Uh, oh, gosh. Uh, it's, it's about building bridges out of poverty. Ruby uh, Payne's. Understanding poverty. Understanding Ruby poverty. Payne, P-A-Y-N-E. Yeah, it's a framework for understanding poverty. Is that it? Yes. Great. That's it. All right. That's a great one. And then how about what have you done that we should do? What kind of experience have you had that you say you, you've got to get this experience visiting somewhere, doing something? Well, that's real easy. All you got to do is go volunteer in a crisis ministry, a food pantry, a homeless facility, a medical ministry, uh, jail ministry, although jail ministry, that's going to take some time and it's not very conducive in the COVID environment uh, because of all the restrictions and training that you have to have. But go get trained in ministry. Go mm -hmm. get outside of your comfort level. Uh, and I've got, a, I've got three steps for you to take. First is okay. go visit it. Second, Take a friend and go on a tour, maybe from your Bible study, your church group, small group. Uh, and third, then go spend some time. Pick the two, three, four hours uh, and go and engage in that ministry and, and ask specifically to be where you can be a part of either sitting with someone who's uh, going through that relationship process or where you get to engage, uh, sit down. After you serve the meal for the homeless, go sit down and talk to them. Well, thank you so much, Reverend Scott. It's been incredible. I mean, you've blown my socks off today with all the good. I'm going to put in all the show notes, it'll have the, the ABCCM's link, um, I recommend you check them out. I know so many of yes. you are generous people and givers. Please consider these guys. They're, they're doing amazing work in the world, and they come recommended by some good friends. And uh, if you have interest in this, see if you can go visit and see the work they're doing. I, I look forward to one day getting to come up and see you and see the work you're doing and uh, be encouraged by it. So thank you for your wisdom. We pray blessings over all y'all are doing and uh, appreciate you taking a few minutes to let us know more about it on the podcast. Gosh, thank you. And I look forward to coming to see you as well. We're going to get out there and see that community. And uh, just again, as part of our commitment to intentional missional community, uh, grow together and and uh, with each other's wisdom, grace, and mercy. Thank you, John, so much for all you're doing. Thank you.